This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Hi there, and welcome into episode 13 of Small Talk. I'm your host, as always, Michelle Smallman, and I'm really excited for our guest this week. We are going to talk to Adnan Verk. You may know him from ESPN. He's a five-tool player there. You've probably seen him hosting baseball tonight or on ESPN Radio or maybe even doing play-by-play. Uh, but Adnan's real passion, other than sports, is movies. You may have listened to his podcast called Cinephile. It's a movie-based podcast on Apple Podcasts. And when you think summer, you think summer blockbuster. So we are going to chat all things movies with Adnan Verk later in the pod. But as always, before that, we need to get Tommy Freeze Pops on the line and do three random things. Tom, what's up? Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. Okay, so for random thing number one, let's just roll right into this. I want to talk about the PGA Championship, which was just here in St. Louis this past weekend and was honestly one of the top five sporting events I've ever been to in my entire life. Did you watch any of the coverage? I did. Tiger was in the hunt, so you kind of have to, right? He was. And just to give a little bit of background, I have never seen a golf event where the players talked more about the environment and the fans than they did this past weekend. I mean, Tigers thanked St. Louis and the fans and said, your enthusiasm and your support meant so much to me. And, you know, every player that was interviewed mentioned the fans and mentioned the environment. And I was there on Friday and then was really lucky to be there with my family, my dad, my uncle, my mom. On Sunday, we parked on 18, knowing that Tiger was in the hunt. I said to my dad, I go, we need to get seats on 18 because if he is coming down the stretch and he's going to win this thing, we're going to have a front row seat for history. And Tom, we were so close to witnessing it. I couldn't believe that he didn't get it. I mean, that one putt that was like, you know, a millimeter from falling in, unbelievable. But I just, I want to talk to you first about the environment and how great it was. And then I want to talk to you about the Tiger effect. But it's so funny that this event happened this past weekend because the whole time I was thinking about this, I was thinking, man, (laughs) all these golfers are talking about how great St. Louis is. Look at my community showing out for this big event and all the hospitality they're showing all these people that are coming in from out of town. Like, this is exactly what why I ride so hard for St. Louis. It was just so indicative of everything that St. Louis is. And then I thought to myself, hmm, last week on the pod, Tom and Saruti were both asked what my most annoying quality is. And both of them said it's because I ride too hard for St. Louis. So if this would have happened the weekend prior, I probably would have lost two friends. Yeah, so the event being in St. Louis almost kind of ruined watching it for me because the whole time, (laughs) all I could think of was, the next time we we talk, you doing exactly what you just did, being like, oh, my God, St. Louis, it's the greatest. Did you see what they said? Oh, my God, St. Louis, St. Louis, it's the greatest. Oh, my God. Uh, why so. are you impersonating me as if I'm Peter Griffin? <laughs> That's my Michelle impression. Oh, my God, St. Louis. St. Louis is the greatest. It's pretty offensive, so, but okay. I mean, you, you pretty much just did exactly what I knew you were going to do. And like, I could see like what you were tweeting and like your Instagram stuff. You're like, look at this great sports town. And like, anytime someone would say a quote, like, oh, it's such a good, you know, you're good place to play, you retweet it. I'm like, oh my God, Michelle is going to be insufferable about this. Oh, you mean like when Tiger Woods uh, tweeted, I can't thank the fans in St. Louis <laughs> enough for packing the course all weekend for their enthusiasm and support. It meant so much to me. So yeah, we witnessed the best Tiger performance we've seen in how many years? And yeah, it's because of the fans in St. Louis. So you're welcome, Tom. Look, I'm not even that big of a Tiger fan. Like, I just watch because 
it's kind of my job to be a part of like the sports like conversation and know what's going on. So I'm like, yeah, Tiger's in it. I kind of need to know what's going on here. I was rooting for Brooks Kepka. Why? That guy's a beast. He is a beast. That guy's Jack. He's really good. I, I, yeah, he's nasty, and I, I kind of want him to just keep winning because I, I, I want like a new golfer to kind of emerge and be the guy. Um, yeah. But whatever. I mean, Tiger, good for him. I also I do like the storyline of him chasing this next major, you know, after a decade of not winning one. So, like, I like it. But at the same time, it's just like, oh, St. Louis. They keep showing the wide shots. It's like, <laughs> oh, no. We're, ne- we're never going to hear the end of this. This is awful. No, you won't. And honestly, two weeks from now, when we talk to Steve again, <laughs> I'll bring it up just to annoy him. Oh, good. Yeah, good. Yeah, bring it up again. We'll, yeah, see. we'll see what he has to say. <laughs> I know you can't wait for that. But no, okay, yeah. so speaking, I know you're cheering for Brooks Kepka because you want that new wave of golfer. But I have to tell you, Tom, being there and watching Tiger in the hunt and seeing the Tiger effect in real time was unlike anything I've ever experienced in sports. I mean, of course, I've watched Tiger from my couch and cheered for him and and seen how he draws in the crowds on TV. And of course, working at ESPN for the years that we did, we know that Tiger moves the needle. So anytime he's even competing, it's a storyline, right? But to see the way the crowd was so drawn to him, I mean, they followed him around, Tom, like he was the friggin' Beatles. And I'm on 18, and you have golfers completing their rounds. And as soon as the ball would go in the hole, they would show what Tiger was doing on the Jumbotron that was right there, or the big screen, whatever you want to call it. And the crowd would go wild, regardless of what he did. They were saying, oh, when he didn't sink a putt, or they're screaming. Everyone was so invested in him. And I'm thinking to myself, here's a guy who had an incredibly public scandal that a lot of people at the time said, you know, forget that guy. His personal life is, you know, unsavory or whatever. I I don't like him. And he has this massive fall from grace where he's not even competitive in his sport for years and years and years. And here are all of these people cheering for him, really wanting him to succeed again. It was was unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean... He's the one guy that everyone kind of can relate to as as a sports fan because, you know, there's other golfers that have made a splash here and there. You know, there was that year or two where Jordan Spieth was the hot guy, and, you know, there's there's other guys that have kind of emerged here and there, but Tiger's like the one kind of constant, at least last decade, decade and a half when he was dominating. So it's sort of kind of like a rallying cry for all those people. So I get it. And especially if they're all golf fans, they can all kind of be like, oh, my God, look what Tiger's doing. And then there's also the people that hate Tiger. So, you know, you get kind of the hate watch, kind of like root against people that are there too. So I understand, like, why why it's like that. I I personally have actually never been to a pro golf uh, tournament. Never been. So I, I don't really know how it feels to be a part of, the gallery at one of those things. It's, it's a bucket list thing for me. I was going to go to, what's the one in Connecticut that all the ESPN people go to? I was going to go to that once, but then I just was like, nah, you know what? I, I want to go to a major if I'm going to do this. So I'm saving it for a major. Well, you should absolutely go. It's a great, great environment. And I think that's what shocked me a little bit about it is that you would think people, golf fans, or you know, would be really reserved and, and you know, polite, which they were. Don't get me wrong. It's not like we were... At a, in a college football environment by any means, but just, you know, how invested people were 
in Tiger was unbelievable to me. And I and yes, we know he's a transcendent superstar, but I can't think of any athlete and their respective sport that has that kind of following or that moves the needle the way he does. Like, yes, LeBron is a transcendent superstar, but there's so many other people in the NBA that kind of do the same thing. You can make the argument that the Warriors as a whole do that. You know, Kobe kind of did that before him. You know, obviously Michael Jordan. There's a lot of people that you can point to in the NBA that do that. Obviously, Obviously, football is more of a team thing, even though it's they have superstars there as well. And I know golf is an individual sport, so it's a different argument. But it's really, really, really unique, the Tiger effect. Yeah, the only one I can think of that kind of comes close to Tiger, and it I don't think it is really that close just because tennis isn't as popular as golf is Serena Williams. Right. She's kind of the only other one where when she's in a final, everyone's kind of glued to their TV to see what she's going to do. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Tiger's Tiger's kind of a standalone guy in that regard. Yeah, and I think Serena's been so consistently dominant too that the um the kind of investment and or hope factor is gone where with Tiger we're waiting and waiting and waiting for him to come back. But Right. All right, well, let's move on to random thing number two. Uh, most people know Tom Cerruti and I from Rosillo and Canell, and you may remember the very popular segment on that show called Life Advice. So Tom has reached out to me over the past few days about a situation where he needs a little life advice or a, a love line question, if you will. So, Tom, please explain to our listeners what is going on. The floor is yours. All right, so... This past weekend, I had a nice night with a female. Uh, it, we had a, we had a good time. Congrats. We really vibed well. Yeah, it was it was good. It, it bled into a nice Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, it was a good time. We had we had a nice breakfast together, mm-hmm. and it, it was everything just went really well. And um, did you take her to breakfast? Yeah, it was, no, she uh, made breakfast. Oh, 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. Yeah. So, yeah, she made some good potatoes. Delicious. Um, So Monday afternoon rolls around and I get a text saying, miss you already. Because she lives down in Providence. I live up in Boston. And for those that aren't familiar, about 45 minutes away from each other. And I so I get the text and I'm like, oh, wow, that's like that made me feel nice. And I'm not a big emoji guy. There's probably like four emojis that I use, and most of them are in ironic fashion. But I was just like feeling like, you know what? I want to send an emoji back to that text. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I sent a blushy face, smiley face emoji back and a, an accompanying text that said, when do we get to hang out again? And that was on Monday afternoon, probably around four. And I still have not received the text back. And oh, it's what, no. Thursday afternoon? Yeah, we're taping this on Thursday afternoon. Oh, no. So what's your question? Do you think the emoji was a turnoff? I just don't know. I just don't know what went wrong because Saturday and part of Sunday went so well. Hmm. And we clearly vibed because... The next day, in the afternoon, she texted me, miss you already. Right. Aggressive on her part. Like, yeah, pretty aggressive. I mean, I'm just, I'm not mad at it. I'm just, that's, she's taking the initiative to express to you that she had a great time. Yeah. So, you know, I get that text. I kind of responded pretty quickly, not going to lie. I didn't let it sit for, Mm, you know. Tom, you always have to let it breathe. Maybe as long as I should have. 
Jeez. Yeah. Rookie mistake. But, like the phone, the phone was in my hand. I was like, yeah, you know, I had a good time too, pretty much. So <laughs> I, I just like was impulsively responded quickly. Um, and I just don't know, like, did I respond too fast? Was the emoji a weird move? Uh, was me asking, when are we going to hang out again? You know, kind of a, a, a step too far, even though it didn't feel like a step too far, given her reaching out to me in the mm-hmm. way that she reached out. Yeah. I mean, what what did I do wrong here, Michelle, if anything? Like, what's going on? All right, let's break this down piece by piece, okay? Okay. First sure. of all, she took the initiative to text you saying not only like I had she didn't say I had fun last night or like, I hope you have a great day. She said, miss you already. That is pretty definitive on the time that she had and the way that she is perceiving you at this moment. OK, yeah, Two. at first I was thinking, ooh, rookie mistake. You should have let it marinate. Give her a little breathing room, play a little bit of hard to get. But then I thought, you know what? No, it's 2018. If you like a girl, you you respond right away. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Wrong with not playing games. OK, yeah, for sure. You've sent me the photo of the emoji. And yes, it's the blushing smiley face emoji. And I'm actually <laughs> not mad at that selection. If you're okay. if you're going to choose an emoji, I think that that is one of the better ones. You didn't send the eggplant like a tool. Right. And you know what? <laughs> I have kind of a hard and fast rule when it comes to texting. If someone sends me the winking face emoji, you're out. A hard pass. Like <laughs> That is the lamest emoji. It looks creepy. No one winks really in real life. Like, are you really winking when you say that? And like, do you not think that I'm, you know, emotionally intelligent enough to read your sarcasm through the text? Like, I get it. You don't need to send me a punctuation of it with a creepy emoji. So you didn't send a winky face emoji. If you're using using the winky face emoji, it needs to be in an ironic fashion. Or just never at all. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, you didn't do, like, the waving hand, which would have been weird. I think that that was a very appropriate emoji for that moment. And then... I thought it was sweet. I thought it was kind of sweet, too, Tom. And then you followed up when, when do we get to hang out again? You know, most girls in this scenario would be like, yes, he is reciprocating, that he is also into me, that he enjoyed my potatoes in the morning, and he wants to hang out again. (laughs) I think most girls would be very fired up by that. She also made a great uh, avo toast. Which I know you're into. You know I love avocado uh, toast. On on gluten free bread, which I'm usually not about, but it was delicious. So this she leads me breakfast. this leads me to believe that you stayed at her house because I know you do not have gluten free bread at your house. <laughs> this is correct. Yes, I mean, <laughs> yes, it's, yes. We'll just leave it at that. Okay, so I don't think you did anything wrong here, but clearly she didn't respond. So something in your response maybe was a turnoff. I know, but what? Hmm. You know what? I Honestly, Tom, and this is a true thing, I'm a terrible texter. I will get a text. In my mind, I will respond, and then I'll put my phone down, and I'll forget about it and not actually respond. Hmm. See, here's another theory I threw out there. That's a good one, but another one I've been thinking about is maybe she sent that text on Sunday later in the day, and I didn't receive it for some reason until Monday afternoon. No, that is not what happened. (laughs) (laughs) like were you driving in a tunnel or perhaps underwater i I mean like it happens sometimes this is the united states of america you received the text when it was sent okay all right i just (laughs) throwing it out there (laughs) 
<laughs> so here's what I think you need to do. If I'm going to like go full Rosillo and Canal and, you know, Moonlight yeah. is Ryan or Danny and give you advice, I think you just go ahead and you follow back up and be like, hey, how was your week? Any plans for the weekend? Really? You think I should ignore her ignoring me? Yes, because you know what? If you wait for her to respond, like she is not going to just circle back, you know, like six, seven days later and be like, yeah, let's hang out again. You know, she probably just misplaced the text. And if you respond and ask to hang out again and she ignores you, then you know that she really isn't missing you already. Mm, Okay, I got to I got to find the right time to do it because. It's not like I can hang out this weekend. I'm already kind of busy, so You're not I kind of want to do it around a time. I'm kind of busy. You're I kind of want to do it around a time. <laughs> you are not that busy for this girl if you're A, asking me to decipher the text, and B, pretending like maybe oh, a tower God. went down and you didn't receive the text until a full <laughs> day later. Okay, you're right. You're right, Michelle. But, she does, okay, so, I mean, not to go down the rabbit hole too much here, but... She lives in Providence. I live up in Boston. Um, so, I, you know, it's a, it's kind of like a work situation. I've, I got work on Friday until late. I have work on Saturday. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's like if, if I'm texting her, I kind of want it to be around a time where I can hang out with her again. But at the same time, maybe I can just, like, carry out a casual conversation with her and be like, oh, what's your plan for the weekend? Uh, bummed I can't really hang out, blah, 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 that thing. Was there anything you guys talked about or bonded over during your weekend together? Yeah. We don't need to get into the specifics, but yeah. Okay, so maybe let's hypothetically say it's a Netflix show or whatever. Maybe you could be like, oh, I'm watching Black Mirror. Have you seen this episode? You know, maybe use something that you guys had have a commonality with as your then follow up. Yeah, that's that's true. That's that's a good call. I, I I'm just overthinking this, um, and you know, I don't usually put this much thought into a situation like this. But it was, you know, it was a good time, and she seemed to be into it, and I think she's a little bit out of my league. Oh. So I'm kind of like trying to play it right, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm just, and she seems into it. So you know. Just want to do it right here, so. Okay. I'll try and make it work. Tom, it's 2018. Let's not play games. I say you go for, you bite the bullet, you text her again, and you see what happens. What do you have to lose, really? She doesn't respond again? Yeah, true. And also, if she listens to this, I mean, it's over anyway, so YOLO. No, actually, I think the op- quite the opposite. I think that if she <laughs> listens to this, she'll be like, oh, shoot, I didn't text him back, and I'm missing him already, and I had a great time. See, yeah, it can go either way. We'll see. We will see. I'll give you an update next week. Okay. I'm also curious to see how Saruti, uh, you know, what his opinion would be on this. So maybe we bring up uh, an update here if there is an update next week. I love that idea. We will get an update next week with Saruti, and I'm going to go ahead and forecast that Saruti will hate the smiley face emoji. He will think that is a very <laughs> lame play by you. Uh, crap. All right. Well, I'm a fan of it. All right, let's move on to random thing number three, and this is the one that I'm the most excited about. So, uh, your girl doesn't sleep. I have a very erratic sleep patterns. Uh, you know, I get up super early in the morning for my show. I have to stay up super late at night to watch the Cardinals games, not not complaining, but I also cannot nap during the day. So I tend to find that before the Cardinals game or like kind of in that weird like early afternoon pocket there, what I do to fill my time is that I watch a lot of Shark Tank on, I believe yep. it's CNBC. They just like run repeatedly. And yep. I have really 
passionate takes on the sharks as i know you do and our guy chris files who's here in st louis with us he helps produce and edit the show he also is a big shark tank fan so for random thing number three i want to rank and break down the sharks on shark tank are you guys into this yes i'm down let's hear it i'm down as well okay <laughs> hello chris the voice hello. chris files i don't think i've ever what's been up on this oh you have not on the pod everyone listening this is chris files say hello um Okay, so, Tom, I didn't realize that you were such a big Shark Tank fan until we started texting about this. And then you said that your favorite... Huge. Yeah, that your favorite thing we ever did on Rosillo and Canel was when we had Darren Rovell on for a Rovell Tank. Yes, that was my favorite segment we ever did. And, yeah, I'm a huge Shark Tank fan. It's just a really easy show to binge watch. Like, it's a good background show. It's, it's a good show for groups of people to kind of come in and be like, oh, what are you watching? And then everyone kind of sits down. You can chat during it, but at the same time, everyone can kind of throw their opinions out there. It's, it's a great show. Huge Shark Tank fan. Okay. So for the purposes of these shark power rankings, we're going to do the six most consistent sharks. Some of the guest sharks we are just going to leave alone, okay? And I'm going to go from my favorite sharks to my least favorite sharks. So number one in the Shark Tank power rankings, it has to, no questions asked, be Mark Cuban. Yes, that's obvious. I mean, I'm sure Chris would agree. Mark is the savviest. I mean, he he gets all the best stuff uh, when Mark's involved. I want to be involved. And I love his shot clock approach. Here's the thing that I love about Cuban. He kind of just like sits on the periphery and lets everyone else make their moves first. And he's really savvy. Like you, you'll watch a show and there'll be some episodes where Cuban won't even get involved with the product. You know, he really picks his spots. And I think when he does, he knows it's going to be a slam dunk. And I think that he's really smart because you can tell that he just kind of likes to mess with everyone. And he has that little intimidation factor going on. He does. Oh, for sure. Everyone in that room is intimidated by him. That's true. His ego gets in the way sometimes, though. How so? He has made some bad deals because he's challenged by another shark, so then he throws in more money. Or then he jumps into the tank. You know, he's been, So sometimes his ego gets in the way. There was the stupidest product on there one time. It was a guy was pitching like... Hang on, I'm a little low. A guy was pitching like his VIP entrance to clubs. You can get this app and you can subscribe mm-hmm. and they'll hold your place in line at the club in Miami. It ended up he and Damon went in on it just so they could party with Pitbull down in Miami one time. <laughs> How much money have you ever heard of that app? No. So it didn't go anywhere. So he basically paid a couple mil to party with Pitbull in Miami. I kind of don't you know blame what? him I though. I actually kind of think that's a good app. Yeah, me too. And I also, <laughs> I also think if you're going to party with Pitbull in Miami and you have the capital that Mark Cuban does, why not? You yeah, can do it without I'm investing. With that deal. That's true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. All right. So number two on my list of sharks is Lori. And here's why. Lori has her niche, right? You know that if a product comes on and it's in any way something that can be sold on QVC, she is your girl. She, you know, anything with with fashion or in, in the home goods realm. I mean, she will take it and promote the crap out of it. So I think that because she has such a specific niche that she's a second shark on my power rankings. No argument. Yeah, I love Lori. Love Lori. She, she's number three for me, but I... I I mean, obviously, top three is great. Uh, she's great. She She's basically the female Mark Cuban. Or is Mark Cuban the male Lori? Huh? Wow. See what I did there? Oh, my God. Did you just yeah. blow my mind? 
No, she's great. I mean, uh, everything she touches it turns to gold. Like, she has the most items that or if, it you, turned if to you listed them to me, I, I would know what they are. Um, you know, Scrub Daddy. That's I her. have a Scrub Daddy at home. Uh, I'm, bla- I'm blanking. On, I'm blanking on everything else, but Scrub Daddy. She's the Scrub Daddy person, and, the, and Scrub Daddies are huge. I just think so many people try and go outside their comfort zone to kind of flex their muscle. And to me, if if you got it and you know what's working for you, exploit it. And that's what Lori does. Yeah. Okay. So number three on my list is Mr. Wonderful. And here's why. I think that out of all the sharks other than Mark, that he actually makes the best deals. Um, I think that he, uh, more than other sharks that I may have seen, is more apt to pairing with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, he is, um, he he knows what works for him, but he also will jump on an opportunity with another shark if it presents itself. He certainly makes the most confusing deals. Yes. His good Lord. You yeah. Ever look at the lower third when he's making a deal and some <laughs> poor bastard in the background is trying to type in and decipher <laughs> what the hell he's putting out there. He wants two, yeah. he wants a 2% cut. Uh, but but once it's 100% paid off, that goes down to 0.72%. And then blah, 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 blah. I'm like, what the hell kind of deal is this? But he's a smart investor. Yeah, his, his elaborate deals are the best. That's why he's the best. He comes in, he's always looking for royalty deals. He's always looking for, for partial parts of things. And, you know, he'll give out a loan with a, with a line of credit. I mean, and he's just so smug. It's the best. Every Every show needs a guy like that for everyone to just love to hate. And uh, Mr. Wonderful does it for me. Also, he lives in Back Bay in uh, uh, in Boston. So, what's up? You would. But no, I think that, though, is a really crucial thing to have, right? He's, like, got this sneaky charisma. And I feel like because he does these elaborate deals that he can convince all the sharks to partner with him. And sometimes that's how you get deals done, you know? Sometimes the valuation may not be there, but with the partnership, you can make it happen. Exactly. And so he's number two for me, but our top three is the same. It's Cubes, Mr. Wonderful, and Lori. I think if you don't have those three, you can't really have the show. And I know er the earlier seasons, Lori wasn't really a regular, but I think now she's in almost every episode. The show kind of realized, like, oh, yeah, she's legit. Like, we need her in here. So the Mount Rushmore of Sharks, those are three of the heads on it. And we're talking effectiveness, not likability. Right, correct. In this list. Correct. Because I think what makes you an effective shark might make you not a likable shark. Very true. I think Cuban's mm-hmm. one of the least likable. See, but I find Mark's cunningness and his arrogance very likable. To me, I think in all aspects of life, sometimes you have to fake it till you make it, right? And Mark has the best poker face. He may not have the best deal or may not be that interested in something, or maybe he's he's really interested in something, but the way that he goes about it, you think he's the smartest guy in the room, whether he is or he isn't. This is true. He, yeah, also he truly owns... is a shark, for yep. sure. I mean, he, he, he embodies that. He, uh, he also owns the Mavs. I don't know if that's ever come up during the show, but good oh. Lord, five times a show. Oh. Five times. Man, oh, I'll, I didn't I'll, know I'll that. I'll pitch this to the Mavs. I'll pitch this to the Mavs. Hey, but you know what? That's a very effective card to play. It is. Because, you know, I remember one time I was watching, and it was an apparel company that was trying to make uh, – 
athletic wear. Oh, and yeah. he was like, oh, well, you know, the Mavs. I mean, right. if, you, if you're that person sitting there and Lori's like, well, I'm going to pedal this on QVC. And you think, okay, what's more effective for me, QVC or the NBA platform? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. mm-hmm. I'm going with cubes. All right. Next on my list is Damon. He's number four for me. I mean, uh, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I, elaborate. I, Hate Damon. Wow. What? Damon is the worst. He's my least favorite shark. He never goes in on anything. Anything. I He's disagree. And the, and the things he goes in on are so stupid. I mean, I, I, I have not thought of. I have not seen him go in on one product where I was like, oh yeah, that's that's a winner. What are you talking about? Yep. Okay, with his FUBU background, no. you know that if it's apparel or manufacturing or even like certain marketing aspects, he's your guy. Nope. No way. I'd rather go with Cubes or Lori over him any day for, for clothing. Any day. Yeah, I, when, hate, I hate Damon. When he doesn't do lap? anything. He's, when, he's always out, and he always is the worst. He's always like, I'm out, and he like craps on the people. And then all the other sharks will be in, and they'll think it's awesome. And Damon was out like 10 minutes ago, and he doesn't say anything. He provides nothing. I'm out on Damon. He laughs for me. <laughs> When's the last clothing hit he had? It's been a while, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, like, like, do you see anyone walking around with boo-boo jerseys anymore? <laughs> no. Okay, coming in next on the list is Robert. And here's why he's so low on the list for me. I feel like Robert... <laughs> He he's the shark to me that always wants to get in on deals, and then the people pitching the products never choose Robert. You know, like I was watching one last night where Robert said, "Okay, yeah, I'm going to partner on this with with Mr. Wonderful," and then Cuban jumps in and says, "No, I want to partner on this with Mr. Wonderful." And no matter what the scenario, every time the person pitching is like, "I'm going to go with uh, Cuban and Mr. Wonderful," right. like no one is ever going to choose Robert in that room. He is never going to be someone number one choice and i root for the underdog i think that's what i got i think that's why i like robert robert's such a good dude and it kills me that he gets steamrolled by cubes and all that he's so cool if you even like look into his background at all he's like this big boss you know he loves ferraris and all these things Mm. like he to me is probably like if you were to hang out with any of the sharks probably the most fun um and he seems the most real to me but I also think that that sometimes doesn't work in his favor. No, I think Robert definitely is the best hang, although Cuban probably would be a really fun hang if you think about it because he's probably got a bunch of private jets and knows dudes in the NBA and stuff. Um, but Robert is pretty low for me as well, and I think it's for all the same reasons you guys just said. He just never can close the deal. And I also don't think he goes in on a lot of stuff. Like he'll, he'll try to go in on some stuff, but, yeah, he never can make it happen. And I, I don't know. He, he likes to give his advice and then not actually throw his money out there. Do you ever notice that about Robert? I notice that about a lot of them, actually. If I ever go on Shark yeah. Tank, I'm going to talk to Robert and I'm bring a dog. You ever notice Robert is the first one with a dog in his lap when a dog enters the room? He just loves dogs, kids, anything like that. He's got a soft spot, and that's a weak spot. Okay, so last on the list, obviously, is Barb. I mean, Barb is the worst shark. Lover, she seems like a nice lady, but that's kind of the point, right? Like, there's a reason she's not a full time shark. You know, you see her cycle in. I feel like she talks about all the time how she's a real estate mogul, but she 
she never really kind of invests in things like that. I don't know. She just, to me, never makes the best deal. She picks the worst product. Sometimes people come out there and they have the worst things. And I think that seems like a terrible thing. I would never invest in that. And sure enough, Barb wants to make a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a Barb fan. I mean, for me, it's the top three. It's it's Lori Cubes and Mr. Wonderful. And then it's a huge drop off to the other three. And Barb falls in, obviously, that bottom three. And she just has the worst reasoning for things. Like, someone will be trying to explain something, and she'll ask a random question. And if she doesn't like how they answered it, and it's a really stupid question, she'll be like, see, that wasn't the right answer. And for that, I'm out. And it's like, what, Barb? Like, no, just say that you were out because you didn't like the product. You don't need to just make up a random reason. It's just, she doesn't get it. She's not good at TV. I think that's her biggest problem. She kind of has this weird uh, cougar thing going on, too. You ever notice, like, if, if a halfway decent-looking guy comes in or something, Whoa, she Chris, starts, what's up? Hey, listen. <laughs> she gives him a wink or something like that, or she kind of struts up to them after she makes the deal. I swear half the deal she makes, it's because she's attracted to the person selling the product. I'm not wow. sure that's a good reason. Just throwing it out there. That's actually a good point. She does seem to make the most emotional calls. Yep. You know, she'll be like, oh, you remind me of this or whatever. Um, I also find it kind of annoying that Barb always likes to revisit her success stories on Shark Tank. Like, how many times do we have to hear about the lobster thing? The lobster oh, roll. God, you know what I mean? Like, roll. we get it, Barb. You had one hit. Guess what? Everybody likes lobster rolls. If you're going to put a lobster roll company on Shark Tank, people are going to be exposed to it and eat it. Like, congrats. <laughs> you win. I like how Chris is just ma- subtly making a play for Barb. <laughs> the saying she's a cougar, is that making a play for her? Yeah. Oh. Chris is making a play. I respect it. He's money chasing. I respect it. Hey, I heard she's a real estate mogul. That's what I heard. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so just to recap the order, Cuban, Lori, Mr. Wonderful, Damon, Robert, and in last place, Barb. Did you know like most of yeah. the deals fall through? After Shark Tank, have you really? Read that? No. Yeah, when they suss out the actual details and stuff, more than half of the Shark Tank deals actually fall through. They never come to fruition. Well, most of them should because I feel like sometimes they make terrible, terrible deals. <laughs> All of Barb's deals. All of Barb She's deals. dragging down the average. Except for the Lobster Shack. Great call, Barb. <laughs> Um, I also heard that all of the pitches are an hour long, ugh. and they, they, they whittle them down into the, the snackable little 10-minute chunks that go on the show. So I'd love to see the uncut versions of those things. I would not. Who has time for that? <laughs> Tom, you're the best. Thank you so much. We are going to talk to you in two weeks. And until then, text that girl. Just go ahead. Have the guts to do it. I think it'll work out in your favor. Should I text her right now? Text her right now. I'm going to haze you into doing this live on the pod. No, I can't. I can't text her. I Why? Can't. Not right now. Why? I'm about to get in my car. I'm going to be stuck in traffic for a while. I don't condone texting and driving. So what if I send a text and then she responds and then I'm driving? I just don't. I don't want to do it. Not yet. Oh, you mean so you're afraid to not respond to her for 40 minutes after she didn't respond to you for four days? Cool. <laughs> Listen, two wrongs don't make a right, Michelle, okay? Just grow so up, Tom. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait either later today or tomorrow. I will I'll shoot her a text, and we'll see what happens. Well, good luck. Send the text now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, All bye. Right.
Thanks, as always, Tom. But let's move things along, and we're going to chat with Adnan Virk. You've probably seen him on ESPN. He's one of the great faces of ESPN. He can really fill any role. You've seen him do play-by-play, host baseball tonight. You've heard him on ESPN Radio. But Adnan's real passion, as you're about to hear, is films. He loves cinema. He loves movies. He has a great podcast called Cinephile. And so we are going to talk summer movies with him and also put him on the hot seat when it comes to critiquing films. That's up next. Take 101 ESPN on the go with the all-new 101 Sports app. See the latest videos, listen to podcasts, and join the conversation with the 101 Sports app. I'm so thrilled to welcome in my friend and former colleague at ESPN, Adnan Verk. You've seen him everywhere. He's in a booth calling a baseball game. He's hosting ESPN Radio. Or you may have listened to his podcast, Cinephile, on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't, subscribe, rate, and review, just like you will to Small Talk later in this episode. Uh, but Adnan, thank you so much for the time today. How you doing? Uh, Michelle, I miss you. It was so much fun we used to have. Uh, you were so great at being so calm and so patient. <laughs> Typically not with me, but with Rosillo. I think actually I'm pretty easy to work with. But the way you would deal with our boy Ryan, I thought was immeasurable and uh, always so many great laughs with you, me, Rosillo, and Saruti. So I'm, I'm glad you're doing great in St. Louis. I'm sure you don't miss those days, but we all miss you. Oh, I absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much. But I absolutely miss you guys. I, um, I have this app on my phone, a time hop that brings things up. And a couple weeks ago, it brought up photos from our time in Miami last year from the All-Star <laughs> game. And I thought, man, my life is a little different now in the Midwest watching the corn grow. I'm not exactly in South Beach partying with Adnan and Rosillo and Saruti anymore. But that was all you. I mean, anybody listening who's like, hey, how do you get these great opportunities? It's all because of producers like you. And I'm not kidding. I do baseball tonight, which, as you mentioned, the Open. But you were the one who months earlier said, hey, listen, why don't you do some radio with Ryan while you're there? And I think it's because of you I got the better hotel. If, you're, <laughs> if, if, I were, if I recall correctly, I was going to be stuck with Ravage and those guys in a fairly uh, average hotel. And I'm in the Fountain Blue, which is where Sinatra stayed. And you're like, yeah, that's where Rosillo stays. I'm like, man, small one's coming up huge. Yeah, no, it's not really me. It's Rosillo. And I'm just like, if Adnan's doing the show with Rosillo, get him in the fountain blue. Let him go to live at night. Why not, right? <laughs> um, well, Adnan, like I said in the intro, you are a 5 tool player at ESPN. You know so much about all different sports, but you also are a movie buff. You're a cinephile. And that's what I kind of want to talk to you about today is movies. It's summertime. So why not, right? I love it. I'm always eager to talk two things and only two things, movies and sports. So you're in my wheelhouse. Perfect. Well, for those who have not heard Cinephile, what are you doing? Head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. It's an amazing podcast. But uh, for the first thing we're going to do, Adnan, I want to combine those two things. So for those who haven't heard the story, I'm going to get a little, give a little bit of context here. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, who is the very, very talented Jaguars cornerback, uh, made some headlines. He spoke to GQ, and they listed all of the NFL quarterbacks, and he basically just went off on them. He said who he thought was trash, Josh Allen, who he thought was good, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, some of these quotes were really strong. When he asked, was asked about Joe Flacco, he said, Flacco sucks. I played him two years in a row, and he sucks. So, for the purpose of this podcast, Adnan, I want to make you Jalen Ramsey, okay? I need you I love it. to take on the mindset of Jalen Ramsey, and I'm going to list some, what I guess a few people might call controversial actors or directors in Hollywood, and you tell me if you think they are great, or if they suck, and why, Okay. <laughs> Okay, I love it. I'm going to get my Jalen Ramsey hat on here. Okay, I'm ready to go. I'm going to be fired up. All right, perfect. Uh, person number one, Ben Affleck. Uh, I like Ben Affleck. Listen, but I think he's one of those guys, kind of like if you're going to equate him with a quarterback, he can only do one thing really well, which in this case is actually direct, because as a director, 
Argo won Best Picture, which I think was in large part helped by the fact that Ben got snubbed for Best Director. So the Academy felt like they had to make it up to him. So, all right, fine. Well, we didn't get a nomination, but we'll give you Best Picture. But I also thought The Town was a terrific movie, which he directed. And I think that's kind of his sweet spot. As an actor, I mean, listen, he had a string of just terrible movies. Like, you know, The Forces of Nature and Rainier Games. And Gilly. as a Batman, he was, yeah, <laughs> the worst movie ever made. So I think, like, you know what? He's good at one thing. He's a really good director. I don't really care for him as an actor. Although I will say, as Batman, everybody was killing him going in, and then afterwards, like, eh, he was okay. He was definitely a good Bruce Wayne because he had that kind of rich boy arrogance. You could play that to sleep. All right. What about Sandra Bullock? Again, Sandra Bullock, I think, is charming, but again, she's kind of limited. I think she's terrific as far as romantic comedies are concerned, Miss Congeniality, Big Smash, and she's fun and lighthearted, but I don't like her as much in dramatic films. I thought The Blind Side was terribly overrated. I understand why she won the Oscar. It's a sweet story. It's a nice movie. And obviously, uh, the real story of Leanne Tui and, and uh, Michael Orr is amazing. I read the book, The Blind Side, by Michael Lewis. But the movie, I thought, was awfully corn-fed. It wasn't to my taste. I didn't think she was worthy of winning. And again, I think she's better as a comedian and someone who's light on her feet than as a dramatic actress. I couldn't agree more. I thought the fact that she won Best Actress for The Blind Side was embarrassing, especially over Meryl Streep and Gabby Sibide, who won or for, who was precious and unbelievable in that movie. And to me, I just think Sandra Bullock is Miss Congeniality in real life. People just like her as a person, so she gets all of these accolades that I don't think are necessarily deserved. Yeah, and I, I never assume people go, well, they're just kind of playing themselves. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, what did you expect? Like, not every actor is like Master Thespian, Daniel Day-Lewis, oftentimes they're just trading the persona. I'm a big fan of Jason Bateman, but he's another actor I don't think shows a lot of range. Generally, Jason Bateman is just playing Jason Bateman, and that's fine. If you can make a good career out of it, great, but I wouldn't give them Academy Awards. Uh, next one, Adnan. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, is he a good actor or not? I'm going to say no, because again, <laughs> he just does one thing, and I don't know how much more he could do, but listen, as far as action movie star who looks great, and his movies make a ton of money, then he's awesome. And I'll admit, I'm surprised how successful he's been. Like, I'm not a huge uh, wrestling fan. I don't know a ton about the WWE, but I knew who he was. And I said, okay, this shouldn't be that easy to be a crossover star. Maybe a couple of hits. Maybe he's like a Dolph Lundgren-type action hero. But no, like, he's a major superstar. Any studio hears that The Rock is interested, and they're immediately going to want to be a part of that. Now, his last movie didn't do as well financially. It's the first time that he's at a box office. I wouldn't say disappointment, but didn't do as much money as some of his other gigantic hits. So, Maybe the bloom is off a little bit. People recognize that it's the same formula, but good actor, no. Big star, yes. What about a person that's kind of considered the undisputed goat, and that's Meryl Streep? I can't say enough great things about her. Like, I'd love to be contrarian, Michelle, and be atypical and say, well, oh, her performance is not good, but honestly, I'd be lying. She's unbelievable. And I think people that don't like her, I had a buddy of mine once, he's like, I'm a huge fan, I'm like, what are you talking about? He just goes, <laughs> I don't understand if she gets so much props. Like, well, you don't watch all the movies. They go back and watch Sophie's Choice. If you've heard about it, you know the movie, but you don't actually have ever seen it. So watch it and go, yeah, that's why she became Meryl Streep. You watch The French Lieutenant's Women. You watch um, Iron Weave with Jack Nicholson. And all the movies that we know that are more contemporary, Doubt, she's unbelievable. Adaptation, I thought she was so funny and showed that she could be romantic as well. Stanley and Iris movie she did with Robert De Niro. Um, you know, she's, whatever she does, obviously she won the Oscar for the Iron Lady, and some thought that wasn't one of her stronger performances. But again, it was a weak field, and she as Margaret Thatcher was awesome. So, I, I, listen, I think Michelle, honestly, Meryl Streep is, is royalty as far as we're concerned in acting circles. I know that people might consider this to be one of Meryl's more low-brow movies, but I was just watching The Devil Wears Prada the other day, and Anna Wintour yeah. is such a difficult character to capture, and she absolutely nailed that. 
I'm with you. That's one of those that you're right. If you look at, you know, these so-called critic circles, they're not going to look at that. They view down upon it just because it was a box office smash from her movie. But I'm with you. That's a great performance because she just nails the character the way she's so dismissive with the that's all and the, the way that she's so cutting. And yet it's not just the villainous. Like she, she could just play a straight up villain, but she gives a little bit of humanity uh, along with the fact that being wicked is so much fun, especially when you see Meryl do it. What about Quentin Tarantino? No, I adore Tarantino. He's one of my favorite filmmakers, and a friend of mine, you know, I just had my birthday, and he gave me a book on Tarantino. But I must admit, I have to take pause now, because that Uma Thurman story, which I read in the New York Times, I don't know how many people are familiar with it, but she talked about the experience of Kill Bill and just how it caused an enormous rift between her and Tarantino. And the real uh, cliff notes of it is that there was a car chase sequence, and Quentin wanted her to drive, and Uma Thurman was not comfortable doing so because the car was unsafe, and he was... Quite frankly, bullied her into doing it. She ended up doing it and suffered a major accident. Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman were together at the time. And Ethan Hawke, actually, they'd split up. Ethan Hawke, though, had heard about it, flew back and literally cornered Tarantino. Like, what are you doing? Like, how could you be uh, such a maniac and be so egomaniacal about this? And Tarantino, of course, countered and said, yeah, okay, fine. I mean, uh, we made some mistakes, but I don't completely agree with her characterization. And we're better now. Like, they do, pro- you know, I guess they appeared together as something, uh, like a Kill Bill reunion or something like that. But he's like, yeah, did it cause a major problem in a relationship? Yes. Did I encourage her to do something which she wasn't comfortable with? Yes, but part of being a director is to push actors to the depths that they're not going to go. So this raises a, a, a larger issue, Michelle, which is that how do you separate the person from the work? Now, in the mm-hmm. case of a, like a guy like Kevin Spacey now, you've got to ask you a year ago, I saw he's one of the great actors of our time, two-time Academy Award winner. Now he's despised, and for good reason. I couldn't even imagine watching The Usual Suspects again or Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. And he's a great actor, but he's a horrific human being when you read the stuff he's done. So in the case of Tarantino, it's funny. When my friend gave me the book, I said, listen, Paul Fiction's one of my favorite movies, Reservoir Dogs, I love. I think he's a brilliant guy, and I love the fact that he's been rewarded by the Academy, particularly his writing. His writing's as good as anybody. But I have a bit of a, bit of a problem now, and if I just openly tell people, oh, I love Quentin Tarantino, I'm like, eh, not the best guy in the world. But as a filmmaker, I do think he's smart, and I... I Throw all this out to the wind, by the way, to say his new movie, I cannot wait to see it. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. How about this cast? He's got Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and my boy Al Pacino. I cannot wait for this movie. Have you seen the early photos of Margot Robbie? (laughs) I'm like, oh my God. By the way, speaking of great actors, I love Margot Robbie. She came on Cinephile when she's promoting I, Tanya. I think she's fantastic. She's now worked opposite with Scorsese and Wolf of Wall Street and now Tarantino. So I love the fact that A-list talent recognizes her. But yeah, just the, the early pictures of it, even the story behind it, you know, the Manson murders, and I, guess, mm-hmm. I think Pitt's the one playing the struggling out-of-work actor, and I'm like, just with Tarantino, again, this story can come out and give some backlash, but every actor wants to work with him, period, because they know how talented he is. Okay, uh, next one, Adnan. What about Blake Lively? I mean, she's very beautiful, but can she act? No, I think, you know, she was in that movie called The Shallows, and I think that would be an accurate summation of her acting career. It is The Shallows. She's, like you said, a very pretty girl, and uh, her and Ryan Reynolds make a fetching couple together, but I don't think she's got a whole lot going on there. I I couldn't imagine her in any role that stretched her beyond look pretty, uh, maybe a movie like The Savages with Oliver Stone, where it's, you know, okay, maybe a crime drama. But again, beyond that, I I couldn't see her doing, I couldn't see her carrying a movie, quite frankly. The Shallows is the exception. I think it did reasonably well, but again, it's just her battling the forces wearing a bikini. I don't get the ton of range. Now now we're starting to get some Jalen Ramsey in you. You know, you got to be like, no, she's terrible. I don't think she's great at all. We need some, I like that we're getting uh, a little cutting here. Um, Yeah, Yeah. I just, you know, Blake Lively, I remember even watching Gossip Girl. I was thinking, this show is supposed to center around you, and you're not even the most talented person on screen. Yeah, I've never seen Gossip Girl, but I back you up a thousand percent. Thank you. All right, next one, Adnan. What about Tobey Maguire? Like, how is that dude Spider-Man? 
Yeah, he's one of those guys. I always used to kind of confuse him with like Elijah Wood of that era. <laughs> so the guy, he's like a decent actor, he's a nice enough guy. But yeah, as a Spider-Man, it felt like a bit of a reach. And I think now he's kind of one of those actors a little bit drifted away. I think that often happens. And an actor like him, he's definitely known. If I said to you, hey, I just ran into Tobey Maguire, everybody knows who he is. But as far as a resume and like totality of career, it's not that strong. Like you said, he was Spider-Man in 2002. And since then, I don't think he's as notable as maybe he would have hoped for either. All right, two more, and then Jennifer Aniston. You know, I like her. I'll tell you a personal story about her. I, I, I never watched Friends. I have no time, you know, for these types of ventures, you know, these lighthearted comedies set in New York. But I always thought she was fine as an actress. I like the fact she tried to stretch a little bit. There was um, a drama which didn't do very good. I can't remember the name offhand. Cake. But I remember, yeah, that's right, Cake. That's right. She was unbelievable she was... in Cake. I couldn't believe how right. great she was in that dramatic role. Exactly. Nobody saw it, but I'm like, I give her big time credit for at least trying a movie like that. And you're the one that can actually prove the fact it was a good movie. Obviously, she's great in comedies and, um, you know, is very likable. But I liked her a ton now because at the Oscars, uh, my wife, Eamon, and I were there. You know, I, for those who don't know, I covered the Oscars for the second time. Uh, the Oscars All Access Show, which is the live show of the Oscars. So while people are watching the Academy Awards, me and my boy, Ben Lyons, who's the one who hooked me up with it, we're actually talking about the Oscars. And Ben is the man of a thousand connections. He's the Tarantino in my world. So after the Oscars, he said, we I got us in a Jimmy Kimmel's after party. And while we were there, you know, we said hi to Jimmy, got a quick picture with him. Wasn't supposed to, but I was like, hey, my wife's a big fan. I was like, all right, sure, no problem. I uh, saw Will Arnett, of course. You know, he's my guy. Oh, he's First the best. First time guest on the Fall. Fellow Canadian from Toronto. So we caught up very pleasantly. And he was talking to Jennifer Anderson. I was actually waiting for a while to go talk to Will because it was, I didn't know who he was talking to. I just saw a couple of girls the back of their heads. And when one of them turned, my wife was like, oh, my God, it's Jennifer Aniston. So I went over to say hi to Will, and we chatted for a few minutes, mainly about hockey. He just wants to talk about the Maple Leafs. Um, but then my wife turned to Jennifer Aniston and she said, listen, I want to tell you I'm a huge fan. And Jennifer Aniston was so nice. She goes, oh, my God, that's so sweet of you. And it was very sincere. She complimented my wife on her dress. And so I was like, you know what, Jennifer Aniston, I'm a fan for life. I think she's awesome. Uh, last one, Adnan, and I hope that this is where we see the true Jalen Ramsey come out. What about Tom Cruise? <laughs> I knew it was coming beforehand. I think he's an absolute cretin. I think he is a waste of space. I have zero time for him. Whenever I see him smile, I'd like to slap him. People ask me what are my favorite movies of his. I said there's only one video I like of him, and that's when he was on Oprah jumping up and down like a buffoon, because that was the real Tom Cruise that we saw, somebody who's unhinged and, quite frankly, dangerous. Uh, you know the real root of my disdain for him, which is anybody who's ever seen uh, the great documentary called Going Clear, which is about Scientology. It came out a couple years ago on HBO. If you haven't seen it, you have to see it because it's absolutely revolting what this movement does towards people who want to leave. Uh, you know I'm as open-minded as anybody. I don't care what your belief system is and whatever you want to believe, that's your choice. My problem with Scientology is if you try to leave the faith, these people are absolutely abusive and they humiliate you and try to ruin your life. And while watching that documentary, I said, there's no bigger Scientologist than Tom Cruise. So he could clearly put a stop to this. He said, listen, these acts that we're doing are vicious and inhumane. And someone like Leah Remini is so courageous in the fact she's spoken about it. Paul Haggis, fellow Canadian, great filmmaker, he's spoken about it. He's in the documentary. But Cruise is the face. And as long as he doesn't care about it, he's sitting there preening with that big grin on his face, giving this movement all this money, I think it's abhorrent behavior, him and David Miscavige. So that's one of those situations where, kind of like Tarantino, I said, listen, I don't know how much I like the guy after I read that, but I love his movies. In the case of Cruz, I'll be honest, I probably thought he was an okay actor. He's obviously a megastar. His movies have made billions, you know, Top Gun and Rain Man and, and Mission Impossible series, so I would never discredit the fact he's a star. I think he's an average actor. I liked him in a couple of movies. Magnolia, I love. It's one of my favorites. But I'll never watch it again. So I drew my line on the sand. I said, okay, I'm never paying for a Tom Cruise movie again. And I'm going to try not to ever watch a Tom Cruise movie again. That's discounting now Magnolia 
and Tropic Thunder, which he was great, and he was very funny, parody of a role there. But as you know what, I got no time for this guy. So I'm out on Tom Cruise. I think he's wildly overrated. Uh, to give some people some background, one of the only times I ever really got nervous working with Adnan, he was uh, on the Rosillo show with Ryan Rosillo. We used to do a segment, Movies with Adnan, where we would just talk about whatever Adnan wanted to talk about or what was popular on Cinephile, the podcast that week. And somehow <laughs> Tom Cruise got brought up, and Adnan went on an epic rant against Tom Cruise and Scientology but at the time our boss comes in and he's like you know a lot of people maybe Scientologists are listening to the show you need to be careful and I it was, I just got really nervous about it but it was an epic epic rant so I, I knew your thoughts on him obviously prior. Yeah the way it came up with somebody had mentioned Tom Cruise the box office wasn't good and I said oh good I'm glad I didn't do well and, Cruise, and Ryan was surprised naturally he said what do you mean I said I'm not a fan of that guy he said, I'm like yeah just, I'm, I'm glad he did not do well and of course knowing we're silly he goaded me into he brought up literally seriously What's your problem with Tom Cruise? And, of course, once I'm pushed, I just unloaded like a volcano. And you're right. It was one of my most epic moments of radio. I wasn't there for the backlash. I think you and Shruti were more concerned the next day. Like, did you get talked to? I'm like, no. Like, someone, I, think, I think you texted me, like, hey, just avoid the cruise topic in the future. I'm like, okay, no problem. Yeah. So I, I felt bad. I felt you guys borrowed the brunt more than I did. No, I mean, they... Honestly, we got no tweets about every every response we got from a listener was very much on your side. But, you know, it is one of those things that, that the bosses have to warn you to be careful about. But uh, like you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, and, and you do cover the Oscars. Most people know your epic, epic call of Moonlight One Best Picture, which I, <laughs> I will find and we will play at the end of this pod. Um, but I need to ask you, the Academy Awards, have a, they have a new category. It's called uh, Popular Film. What did you think about that? Michelle, I pride myself on being honest, and if we were having a private conversation, my answer would be different, but I work for the Academy, as, <laughs> as funny as that is to say aloud, and probably they paid me. The last two years, I've been overjoyed with the fact I get a check for the Motion Academy picture of Mo- uh, Motion Arts and Sciences. Not only do I get paid, I get to go to the Oscars, and this year they were so generous, I got to bring my wife with me, who loves movies as much as I do. So... I will be as diplomatic as possible and say this. The 90th Academy Awards was the lowest rate it's ever been. I'd like to think that's because everyone's watching me and Lions on the Oscars All Access because our ratings were up. But the actual broadcast show was the lowest ever. So there's two things you can do here. One is you can ignore that and say, well, listen, ratings for everything is down. The Super Bowl, the Grammys, the Emmys, all major events, as you and I both know, just the way in the world we live today, live television is down. Or you can do what the Academy did, is let's do something about it, and let's try to be more inclusive and more accessible. And you and I both know the Mike Golicks of the world, and people get mad and they say, oh, who cares about the shape of water or three billboards that's at Missouri or fences? These are these indie movies that nobody cares about, nobody watches. Why don't you reward movies that people actually do watch on a larger scale? Now, I would disagree with that, of course, because I think this isn't a popularity contest. You're rewarding it on merit and artistic judgment, which at the same time is subjective. But I think the Academy does the best they can to include those types of movies. And the most famous time they've had an incident like this was back in 2008 or 2009 when The Dark Knight was not nominated. And so they, they actually increased the voting. Now, of course, it's between five and ten movies, whichever how the votes go. In the past, it was always only five movies. So the Academy is, listen, people want to make jokes, and obviously what happened with Moonlight, Warren Beatty, and the envelope being messed up, so they're a bunch of dinosaurs. But they're actually trying to get younger. There's more people of color. There's more women. And they said, listen, how can we fix this? So the, the cynical take is it's a Band-Aid on a major issue. But I think, you know what, having a category of the most popular film at the Oscars recognizes that movies are for everyone. And so this year, you're going to have Black Panther nominated. You're going to have Avengers Infinity War nominated in that category. Um, hopefully a movie like the, A Quiet Place, which I loved. I'm not a horror movie fan. I got pushed hard to go see it by all the reviews and people I know. And I loved it. John Krasinski did an amazing job with that movie. And hopefully that will get nominated because it was popular. It was a great film. 
Uh, Mad Max Fury Road is a movie I loved from a few years ago, which actually won a handful of Oscars, none of the major ones, but that's a movie that I had said should have been nominated for Best Picture. It was a great film and happened to make a ton of money and was very popular. So I know maybe on the surface some people don't like the idea, but at least the Academy is trying to be a little bit different, trying to be more inclusive. Here's where the real rub's going to come, though, Michelle. You're going to get the Black Panther fans who say, okay, fine, it won the Oscar for most popular film, but why wasn't it nominated for Best Picture? And then you're going to have this controversy with the Academy. But I'm one of the few that wasn't crazy about Black Panther. I thought it was fine, but I don't think anywhere near uh, the acclaim it received. I wouldn't nominate it for Best Picture myself. So, listen, if it's going to win an Oscar for Most Popular Film, I'm okay with that. And if it ended up winning Best Picture, and we have not seen the best movies, you and I both know the best movies are in the fall. The next four months we're going to get 50 great movies. So I, I personally don't think it's one of the best of the year, but I, I can see why there's a bit of backlash to it. Well, speaking of the Oscars, I, I unfortunately have to bring up a beef that we have because there's there's a movie that you and I strongly disagree on, and that yeah. is Manchester by the Sea. And as we know, Casey Affleck won the Best Actor in 2017 at the Oscars, and I cannot believe he won for that role. I can't believe, I mean, it wasn't a terrible movie, but there's so many things that I didn't enjoy about that, and you and Ryan Rosillo were so high on this movie and could not believe that I didn't like it. Yeah, we loved it. And I thought it was actually a, a real a bit of a weaker year for the, uh, the movies that year. I mean, that was the year that Moonlight did one this picture a couple of years ago that you're referencing. And I remember that year, there hadn't been a whole lot, and that came out in late November, and I was blown away. I thought it was just so uh, well-written by Kenneth Lonergan, who is a really good filmmaker, writer-director. He's also a very famous playwright. He did a movie previously called You Can Count on Me, which is Mark Ruffalo's debut, he and Laura Linney, which was great. And he had a couple of misfires, and I was like, okay, Lonergan made a new movie, Manchester by the Sea. And I thought it was so powerful and so moving and so genuine. And I thought Affleck's performance was so good because he's playing this character who's just in, in the roots of despair. You're not exactly sure why. And I love the way that Lonergan structured it, that you find out the tragedy is in the middle of the movie. And then all of a sudden it gives you context to why he is like this and how is this story going to be resolved. So I found it powerful and moving. My brother is more like you. He just said, okay, I, I get it. Like, yeah, it's sad, but I don't understand right. people are depressed afterwards. I mean, it's just a movie. And the funniest critique I heard of the movie was there was like a bit of a backlash online once Affleck won, and I think Lonergan won, too, for screenplay. They said, this movie should have just been called White People Feeling Sorry for Themselves, which would have been a pretty funny alternative title. But I, I loved it. I know you're not a fan. Yeah, I just thought, ooh, Casey Affleck playing like a curmudgeonly blue-collar guy from New England. What a stretch, you know? I don't know. I just didn't yeah. think it was best actor worthy. And I thought, is no one going to talk about Michelle Williams' terrible Boston accent, accent in this movie? Yeah, my only quibble with it, along with the accent, but on a broader sense of why do we have to have another Boston, New England movie? I said, for God's sakes, as you know, the great people of St. Louis, there's so many states that are underrepresented, stories are undertold. It seems like all these writers are always saying their stories in New England, which is where I live, but, and you used to live, but I'm like, hey, there's lots more out there. And why couldn't he just be in Oregon? Because then you're right. You get the whole New England angst, and they're watching the Red Sox, and they're fighting in bars, and he drinks too much, and they're all Irish, and then you get a bad accent. So I, I'm with you on that. I could, I could take a break at all these Boston movies. All right, so and then I fall into this trap. It's kind of a Netflix hole, but I call it a showman's. You know, you have this intense relationship with the show. You binge it. You're consumed by it. Um, but because of that, I feel like I've neglected to really watch all of these old, really critically acclaimed movies that have been on my list forever. And then I kind of rationalize it to myself where I think, you know, a lot of these probably don't still hold up. You know, I'll probably be annoyed if I watch these. So I'm going to run through a few of them and you tell me if I'm missing out and if they hold up and if I need to watch them. Okay. I love this idea, yeah. All right, what about Casablanca? 
It's outstanding. It, it still holds up. You know, I saw it when I was in high school, and I'm not the most romantic person in the world, and melodrama is not my strong suit. But I was blown away when I saw it. I said, wow, that is a truly great movie. I, I love Humphrey Bogart. He's one of my favorite of the old-time actors. That was my biggest reason to watch it. And he has that great mixture of melancholy and a... You know, you always hear, you know, girls love the bad boy, and he's this tough guy who doesn't want to be a sentimentalist, and yet one of the famous lines is Claude Rain says, you know, I, I realized after all you are a rank sentimentalist, and I think it's a nice love story, but it's honestly more than that. It's really a period piece of what was happening in the war at that time. It has all the big elements, right? It's a wartime movie. It's a love story. It's got good crime. It's got good suspense. Uh, it's really well acted by everybody. Peter Lorre, Ingmar Bergman is the love interest. Um, so I think it's a wonderful story. And even as you're watching it, Michelle, I think the first hour, you say, okay, this is fine. I get why people like it. You know, it's okay. But it's really elevated by the final 15 minutes. It's, it's truly one of those movies that takes off by the end. And the script is so good. It might be one of the best scripts ever written uh, by the Curtis brothers, and particularly the scene we all know, because it's parodied on Saturday Night Live or in TV shows, is when Bogart says that final speech to her. And, you know, we'll, we'll always have Paris and that whole speech. It, it's it's uh, still a knockout. I, I I read a book on Casablanca. I got it a couple of years ago. Mike Greenberg, as you know, his favorite movie of all time is Casablanca. The movie came out, book came out, excuse me. I think Call Will Always Have Paris. So I watched the movie again. I hadn't seen it in at least a decade, and I still love it. That one holds up. All right, what about Star Wars? Uh, Star Wars, I think, is a little overrated. I think that's one of those that, you know what, it, again, for its time, it was this huge blockbuster, and I give George Lucas credit. It was so original. You know, it's funny, you know how much I adore Scorsese and he's friends with Spielberg and Lucas and Coppola, that incredible group of directors. And I was just watching the story the other day. They said that after Star Wars, because he would screen it for their friends, right? This is obviously well before DVD and VHS, so they'd have to get like a screening room and watch it. So, you know, when Marty makes Mean Streets or Spielberg makes Jaws, like, they'd get together and watch the movies. And Coppola, after he saw Star Wars, just goes, what the hell was that? Like, he just he couldn't stand it. And George was so hurt, and Spielberg and Marty were like, oh, no. and Coppola's like, what's, what's the, the big furry guy? Like, what's he doing? Why is he screaming? Like, Ooh, what, Chewbacca? What? And he actually gave the idea of the crawl, which is so famous, that, that opened to it, along with John Williams' indelible music, to explain what's happening. He goes, the audience won't get what is going on. So give a little bit of context. And Lucas it was actually very helpful towards the movie. But I think that's one of those movies that, for its time, was amazing. It's obviously a seminal film, but if you're just hanging out on a Friday night I've never seen Star Wars, I don't think it's going to give you the kick that it did for people back in the 70s. Okay, what about Raging Bull? Oh, uh, you know, it's my favorite movie. You know, people ask me my favorite movie, and I, I always give them three, because it's tough to pick just one. But I was thinking about this again the other day, and I said, I think Raging Bull is my one. The other two are Taxi Driver and, Ra- and Goodfellas, so it's obviously a collaboration of De Niro and Scorsese. But... I was asked, I was just on Get Up, actually, with our boy Greeny, and they had the top five sports films. And, of course, Greeny hated my list, which I know you're going to bring up a sports movie that you love in a minute. But the only thing he agreed with me, because number one was Raging Bull, and Greeny said, well, yeah, obviously, that's like one of the greatest movies of all time. It's one of those, I don't know anybody who ever disparages it. Like, it's, it's rare to get a movie that everyone goes, oh, yeah, that's an incredible movie. I don't care if you're man, woman, what race you are, how what age you are. Anybody who's seen it goes, oh, yeah, that's an incredible film. And I think what's great about it is that so many movies end up focusing on the positives. But this was a really daring experiment by Scorsese and De Niro to really explore the human condition. And rather than focus on a boxer inside the ring, it was more important on the punches dealt outside of the ring. And not only the blows that he inflicts and the physical abuse upon his wife, played by Kathy Moriarty, and the verbal abuse he gives to his brother, played by Joe Pesci, but also the demons that he deals with himself and just this incredible vortex of self-loathing. And he has this Madonna whore complex, which means that he doesn't believe a woman can be with him 
um, because he just has such low self-esteem that she must either be a Madonna or a whore, and that's why he acts up with such violence. And it's, and having said that, dealing with such vicious themes, it's beautiful. If you've ever seen the open of Raging Bull, the first three minutes with the beautiful score by Mascani, and it's just a shot of Jake LaMotta De Niro shadow boxing. I mean, it's gorgeous. I, I don't know how in the world Scorsese can make a movie like that, which deals with such vicious themes and yet is so gorgeous. Uh, from a filmmaker perspective, I don't remember the movie Shine with Jeffrey Rush came out in 96. You know, that movie, the director said, he goes, I had to watch Raging Bull, and you go, how would a movie but a concert penis be with Raging Bull? And he goes, because Scorsese's boxing scenes were so well cut and well edited. You ever meet a director, they'll always go, oh, the boxing scenes in Raging Bull. The movie's two hours and eight minutes. The boxing scenes are maybe 12 to 15 minutes, but they're incredibly edited because Scorsese took his camera inside the ring, which no one had really done. It's a lot of POVs, a lot of slow motion. It's very much expressionist filmmaking. And the, the best scene of the movie is when Lamotta just gets destroyed by Sugar Ray Robinson and, and does not go down. He says, you never got me down, Ray. You never got me down, which is kind of a, you know, a, a legacy of his own career, the fact that no matter all the blows that he took, he was always standing. But if you just watch from a filmmaking perspective, it makes you want to become a director, Michelle, because you go, God, the craft of the filmmaking here is extraordinary. And I haven't even mentioned De Niro's performance, which is one of the seminal performances of all time. We always hear about actors gaining weight, losing weight. Tom Hanks did it for Castaway. Christian Bale's done it for The Machinist. De Niro was the first guy. He was the first one that said, no, I'm going to transform my body. And he put on 55 pounds to play LaMotta when he was fat at the end of the movie. He's an absolute legend. He's one of my favorite actors. He's in over 100 movies. When he came to ESPN, people said, what are the favorite movies? He said, well, I like Raging Bull. And I'm like, yep, that's the one movie that no matter what, everybody agrees, De Niro's incredible. So I should watch it? <laughs> I was like, when is he going to actually get to the point? Do you like it or not? Here's my fear, though. What if you see it? Because I have a friend of mine who I also recommend it to, and she goes, listen, it's great, but I did find it a little bit slow. And I said, well, I, wasn't, I didn't say it was fast-paced. So I don't know if you might find it a little bit slow. That's my only concern. But I think you'll agree it's a great film. Is it Manchester by the Sea slow? No, no, no. It's a, little, it's a quicker pace in Manchester by the sea. Don't worry about that. Okay. Well, and then I know you're short on time, so you have to tell me before you go, what is the one summer movie that I need to go see that I cannot miss? I love Black Klansman. It's been a pretty mediocre summer, Michelle. I know so many people, yourself, everybody I know, it tells me you've got to watch TV. TV's never been better than Netflix, but as I tell people... It's called Cinephile. It's not called Mr. TV Show, so I generally don't watch any TV shows. I, have, I make an exception for Better Call Saul. I do like Fargo because, of course, it's based in the movie. Right. I watch John Oliver every week. But, but aside from that, I just stick to the movies. But having said that, it has been an underwhelming summer. That um, Star Wars, the, the solo movie, was a disappointment. Deadpool 2 was awfully funny, um, but the first one was even better than that. No great comedies this summer. Normally, you get an Amy Schumer train wreck. You get a hangover. This year, the highest-grossing comedy was Game Night, which I did like. Before I mentioned Jason Bateman, Rachel McAdams, but only made $69 million. So having said all that, the one movie that actually is great that stands up, that would be Spike Lee's Return to Relevance and Black Klansman. Just open in theaters now. Spike's one of my favorite filmmakers. I thought from 89 to 90, you couldn't beat the guy. Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Jungle Fever, Mo Better Blues. He got game. Uh, Crooklyn, he's a wonderful filmmaker. But then he found a very lean past decade. Since Inside Man 2006, he hasn't had a hit, and I'll be honest, a lot of those movies were terrible. And I start to worry. I think of actors and directors like athletes that we cover. I think eventually you get past your prime. I think that you've had all that you've had to say creatively, and you find run out of stuff. And I was worried about that with Spike. I said he's just going to keep making mediocrity. Instead, he makes a movie which is awfully provocative. It's very timely and very topical. And real quick, it's about a character named Ron Stallworth, a real-life guy, who was a black cop in Colorado Springs, and he infiltrated the KKK. He said, Jordan Peele, the guy who made Get Out, called Spike and said, I got six words for you. 
black man infiltrates KKK. And Spike's <laughs> response was, isn't this like Dave Chappelle, the famous Chappelle sketch? He goes, no, no, this is a true story. Wow. And so Stallworth would be on the phone, and then Adam Driver, who's a Jewish cop in the movie, would actually be the one in the white robes and then go meet these guys. So the fact that, it, like I said, it's provocative and it makes you angry because it's dealing with race and racism, it's awfully funny, though. It's amazing how Spike was able to find some moments of levity within there and to make a crowd pleaser. I saw the film, and twice the crowd started clapping and applause. That's how enjoyable the movie was. You know a Spike Lee movie about race is going to be hard-hitting. But it's amazing to me that he actually made it so entertaining and funny. And, of course, it's very topical. He does, uh, listen, if you're a Trump supporter, he takes some shots to the current administration. The movie ends with what happened in Charlottesville. And the movie is coincided to end with the year anniversary of Charlottesville. So I know uh, if people are maybe not politically inclined, they may not like the film. But I think it's a great movie on its own merit. And I do really hope it gets recognized by the Academy. Well, you sold me. I will absolutely have to check it out. And, Adam, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for the time. I wish I could be as passionate about anything in life as you are about movies. I Honestly, every time I tell myself, I've got to get a life. Like, I'm 40 <laughs> years old now, Michelle. Like, just do something. Like, I've never gone fishing before. Like, I should learn, to, you know, boating and chess checkers, board games. I, that's, that's all I can do. It's just sports and it's movies. Before we close, you have to tell me why The Sandlot's one of the top five sports movies of all time. Uh, okay, well, I uh, will make this quick and concise. It involves um, friendship. It has a little drama to it. It's funny. It really covers all of the bases, Adnan. It's an American classic. I don't know why you're so down on The Sandlot. You really should give it another chance. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I just saw it, and this happens, just like athletes. You watch it on an off day, maybe you're distracted, maybe you just weren't at the age to appreciate it, uh, but I will give it a chance. Greg Colley, he loves the, of course, my baseball type producer, he loves it. I actually recently saw somebody on vacation wearing a You're Killing Me small shirt, so you know what, that may be one that I have to go revisit. Well, you know what, how about this? I will watch Raging Bull, you watch The Sandlot, and then the next <laughs> time I have you on, we'll compare notes, Okay. I like it, although I'm, I'm scared, because if you don't like Raging Bull, I will take it personally. And if I don't like the Sandlot, you're really going to take it personally. So I don't know if this will happen, but I, I'm, I'm game for it. All right. Well, we will revisit that. Adnan, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Michelle, you're the best. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Adnan Verk. It was so wonderful catching up with him. I'm going to have to get on that movie list so we can compare notes later. But like I mentioned to him, I truly mean this. I wish I loved anything in my life as much as Adnan loves movies. As you can hear, he is truly, truly passionate about it. Um, and thanks again to Tommy Freeze Pops, as always. It's great chatting with him. Hopefully he's texted that girl already. But like we've been doing at the end of the pods, let's run through some reviews. I really appreciate everyone subscribing, rating, and reviewing the pod. And reading this is really fun for me. I love reading these reviews. So this one is from Peach Toast. The The comment is STL. It says five stars. Michelle, you're not the only one hyping up St. Louis. It feels like most of us in STL always brag about our city. I listen every week. Keep it up. So shout out to Peach Toast for loving St. Louis as much as I do. And take note, Tom and Saruti, St. Louis rolls together. We ride for each other, which I always appreciate. Uh, next one is from T Shamber 3 It says, nicely done. Five stars. Y'all are awesome. Brings me back to the Rosillo show times, and I miss it. Killing it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, finally, this one's from E Woodward 26 Fun show. Great content. Five stars. Great to hear Michelle on the radio. Great concept for this platform and for her. 727 is the best PSP by far. I'll have to go back and look at that and see which one he enjoyed so much. But anyway, thank you so much to everyone who subscribed, rated, and reviewed. If you haven't yet, go ahead and do that. And we will be back in action next week. We'll probably reconvene with Tommy Freeze Pops and Saruti and kick around a bunch of BS. But until then, good night, Boston. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.